Chapter Three of Storm Cloud on Decca by E. E. Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: Clear Ether. During the following days, Tellurian Pharmaceuticals entertained Cloud, not insistently. Graves was an expert in such matters, but simply by letting him know that the planet was his. He could do anything he pleased. He could have any number of companions to help him do it. And as a result he did, within limits, exactly what Graves wanted him to do. In spite of the fact that he did not want to enjoy life, he liked it. One evening, however, he refused to play a slot machine, explaining to his laughing companion that the laws of chance were pretty thoroughly shackled in such mechanisms and the idle remark backfired. What was the mathematical probability that all the things that had happened to him could have happened by pure chance? That night he analyzed his data and found that the probability was an infinitesimal. And there were too many other incidents, all contributory. Six of them, seven if he counted his arm. If it had been his left arm, jet back. Since he wrote with his right hand, very few people knew that he was left-handed, and anyway it didn't make any difference. Everybody knew that it took both hands and both feet to do what he did. Seven it was, and that made it virtually certain that accident was out. But if he was being delayed and hampered deliberately, who was doing it, and why? It didn't make any kind of sense. Nevertheless, the idea would not down. He was a trained observer and an analyst second to none. Therefore he soon found out that he was being shadowed, but he could not get any truly significant leads. Graves, have you got a spy-ray detector? he asked boldly and watchfully. The fat man did not turn a hair. No, nobody would want to spy on me. Why? I feel jumpy, as though somebody were walking on my grave. I don't know why anybody would be spying on me, but I'm neither a lensman nor an esper, but I'd swear that somebody's peeking over my shoulder half the time. I think I'll go over to the patrol station and borrow one. Nerves, my boy, nerves and shock, Graves diagnosed. Losing an arm would shock hell out of anybody's nervous system, I'd say. Maybe the Phillips treatment, the new one going on, pulls you out of shape. Could be, Cloud assented moodily. His act had been a flop. If Graves knew anything, and he'd be damned if he could see any grounds for such a suspicion, he hadn't given away a thing. Nevertheless, the blaster went next to the patrol office, which was, of course, completely and permanently shielded. There he borrowed the detector and asked the lieutenant in charge to get a special report from the patrol upon the alleged gems and what, if anything, it knew about either the cruiser or the pirates. To justify the request he had to explain his suspicions. After the messages had been sent the young officer drummed thoughtfully upon his desk. "'Wish I could do something, Dr. Cloud, but I can't see how I can,' he decided finally. "'I'll notify narcotics right away, of course. But without a shred of evidence I can't act, even if they are as big as Wilnick outfit as Wimbleson's was on Brinsecca. I know, I'm not accusing them. 
It may be anything from Betamore to Andromeda. All firms, all individuals for that matter, have spy-ray blocks. Call me, will you, when you get that report? The call came eventually, and the patrolman was round-eyed as he imparted the information that, as far as anyone could discover, there had been no Nonabarian gems, and the rescuing cruiser had not been a patrol vessel at all. Cloud was not surprised. I thought so, he said flatly. This is a hell of a thing to say, but it now becomes a virtual certainty, mathematically. The probability approaches absolute certainty as a limit, that this whole fantastic procedure was designed solely to keep me from analyzing and blowing out that vortex. Here's what I'm going to do. Bending over the desk, even in that ultra-shielded office, he whispered busily for minutes. But listen, doctor, the patrolman protested. Wait, let a lensman do it. Do you realize that if they're clean and if they catch you at it, nothing in the universe can keep you from doing at least ninety days in the clink? Yes, but if we wait, the chances are that it'll be too late. They will have had time to cover up whatever they're doing. What I'm asking you is, will you back my play if I catch them with the goods? Yes, we'll be here, armored and ready. But I still think you're completely nuts. Maybe so. But if my mathematics is wrong, it is still a fact that my arm will grow back on just as fast and clink as anywhere else. Clear either, Lieutenant. Until tonight. Cloud made an engagement for luncheon with Graves. Arriving a few minutes early, he was, of course, shown into the private office. Seeing that the manager was busily signing papers, he strolled aimlessly to the side window and seemed to gaze appreciatively at the masses of gorgeously blooming flowers just outside. What he really saw, however, was his detector. Since he was wearing it openly upon his wrist, he knew that he was not under observation. Nobody knew that he had in his sleeve a couple of small but highly efficient implements. Nobody knew that he was left-handed. Nobody knew that he had surveyed inch by inch the burglar alarm wiring of this particular window, nor that he was an expert in such matters. Therefore no one saw what he did, nor was any signal given that he did anything at all. That same night, however, that window opened alarmlessly to his deft touch. That side was dark, but enough light came through the front windows so that he could see what he was doing. Bad or good, he did not know. These walls might very well have eyes, but he had to take that chance. One thing was in his favor. No matter how crooked they were, they couldn't keep armored troops on duty as night watchmen. That would be begging for trouble. And in a pinch he could get the patrolmen there as fast as they could get their thugs. He had not brought any weapons. If he was wrong he would have no need of one and it would only aggravate his offense. If right, one wouldn't be enough, and there would be plenty available. There they were, a drawer full of them, delameters, full-charged and ready, complete with belts. He was right. He leaped to Graves' desk. A spy-ray. That basement. Private laboratories were still blocked. He threw switch after switch. No soap. Communicators. He was getting somewhere now. A steel-lined room, a girl and a boy. 
Eureka! Good evening, folks. It had not taken long for Ryder to arrive at the explanations of the predicament in which he and the girl were so hopelessly enmeshed. Thionite, he explained to her bitterly. I never saw a man take thionite before, let alone die of it. But it's the only thing I can think of that can turn a man into such an utter maniac as that one was. They're growing the stuff. They must be a Zwilnik outfit from top to bottom. That's why they've got to rub us out. But how could it get out? Through a fault, Fairchild said, a crack in the rocks. A millionth of a gram is enough, you know, and the stuff's so fine that it's terrifically hard to hold. If we could only tell the patrol! But they could not tell, nor could they escape. They exerted their every resource, exhausted every possibility, in vain. And as day followed day, Ryder almost went mad under the grinding thought that they both must die without any opportunity of revealing their all-important knowledge. Hence he burst out violently when the death-cell speaker gave tongue. "'Eureka! Damn your gloating soul to hell, Graves!' he yelled furiously. "'This isn't Graves,' the speaker snapped. "'Cloud! Stormcloud! The Vortex Blaster investigating—' "'Oh, Bob, it is! I recognize his voice!' the girl screamed. "'Quiet! This is a Zwilnik outfit, isn't it?' "'I'll say it is!' Ryder gasped in relief. "'Thionite!' That's enough. Details later. Keep still a minute. Locked together in almost overpowering relief, the imprisoned pair listened as the crisp voice went on. Lieutenant, I was right. Zwilnik, Thionite. Get over here fast. Blast down Maynard Street door. Stairway on right, two flights down, corridor to left, halfway along left side, room B-12. Snap it up. But wait, Cloud, wait! They heard a fainter voice protest. Wait until we get there. You can't do anything alone. Can't wait. Got to get these kids out. Evidence. Cloud broke the circuit, and as rapidly as his one hand permitted, buckled gun belts around himself. He knew that Graves would have to kill those two youngsters if he possibly could. If they were silenced, it was eminently possible that all other evidence would be destroyed in time. For God's sake, save Jackie anyway, Ryder prayed. He knew just how high those stakes were. And watch out for gas, radiations, and traps. A dozen alarms must have been sprung before now all around here. What kind of traps? Cloud demanded. Deadfalls, sliding doors, I don't know what they haven't got in this damn place. Take Fairchild's private elevator, doctor. The girl's clear voice broke in. Graves said that he could kill us in here with gas or rays or— Where is it? The one farthest from the stairs. Cloud jumped up, listening with half an ear to the babblings from below as he searched for air helmets. Radiations in that metal-lined room were out, except possibly for a few narrow-beam projectors, which he could deal with easily enough. Gas, however, was bad. They couldn't weld cover plates everywhere even if they had time and metal. Every drug house had air helmets, though, and this one must have hundreds of them. Ah, here they were. He put one on and made awkward shift to drape two more around his neck. He had to keep his one hand free. To the indicated elevator he dashed, down two floors. 
He ran along the corridor and drove the narrowest, hottest possible cutting beam of his delameter into the lock of room B-12. It took time to cut even that small semicircle in that refractory and conductive alloy. Altogether too much time, but the kids would know who it was. The Zwilniks would unlock the cell with a key, not a torch. They knew. When Cloud kicked the door open, they fell upon him eagerly. A helmet and a delameter apiece. Get them on quick. Now help me buckle this. Uh, thanks. Miss Jackie, stay back here, clear of our feet. You, man, lie down here in the doorway. Keep your ray gun outside and stick your head out just barely far enough to see. No farther. A spot of light appeared in a port, then another. Cloud's weapons flamed briefly. I thought so. They do their serious radiation work somewhere else. The air right now, though, I imagine is bad. It won't be long now. Do I hear something? Somebody's coming, but suppose it's the patrol. They'll be in armor, so a few blasts won't hurt them. Maybe those Wilniks will be in armor, too. If so, we'll have to duck. But I imagine that they'll throw the first ones in here just as they are. They did. Graves, or whoever was directing things, rushed his nearest guards into action, hoping to reach B-12 before anyone else could. But as that first detachment rounded the corner, clouds of delameter flamed white, followed quickly by riders, and in those withering blasts of energy the Zwilniks died. The respite was, however, short. The next men to arrive wore armor against which the delameters raved in vain, but only for a second. Back, Cloud ordered, and swung the heavy door as the attacker's beams swept past. It could not be locked, but it could be welded solidly to the jam, which operation was done with dispatch if not with neatness. I hope they come in time, the girl's low voice carried a prayer. Was this brief flare of hope false? Would not only she and her bob, but also their would-be savior, die? That other noise, suppose that's the patrol? It was not really a noise, the cell was soundproof. It was an occasional jarring vibration of the entire structure. I wouldn't wonder, Cloud looked around the room as he spoke. Heavy stuff, semi-portables, perhaps. Well, let's see if we can't find some more junk like that trapdoor to stick onto that patchwork. Jackie, you might grab that bucket and throw water. Every little bit helps, and it's getting mighty hot. Careful, don't scald yourself. The heavy metal of the door was bright to dull red all over half its area, and that area was spreading rapidly. The air of the room grew hot and hotter. Bursts of live steam billowed out and, condensing, fogged the helmets and made the atmosphere even more oppressive. The glowing metal dulled, brightened, dulled. The prisoners could only guess at the intensity of the battle being waged without. They could follow its progress only by the ever-shifting temperature of the barrier which the Zwilniks were so suicidally determined to beam down. Then a blast of bitterly cold air roared from the ventilator, clearing away the gas in seconds, and the speaker came to life. "'Good work, Cloud and you other two, it said chattily. "'Glad to see that you're all on deck.' The boys have been working on what's left of the air conditioner, so now we can cool you off a little, and I can see what goes on there. 
Get into this corner over here so that they can't blast you if they hold through. The barrier grew hotter, flamed fiercely white. A narrow pencil of energy came sizzling through, but only for seconds. It expired. Through the hole there poured the reflection of a beam so brilliant as to pale the noonday sun. The portal cooled. Heavy streams of water hissed and steamed. Warm water, almost hot, spurted into and began to fill the room. A cutting torch, water-cooled and carefully operated now, sliced away the upper two-thirds of the fused and battered door. The grotesquely armored lieutenant peered in. "'Anybody hurt, Cloud?' he shouted. Upon being assured that no one was, he went on. "'Good. We'll have to carry you out. Step up here where we can get hold of you.' "'I'll walk and I'll carry Jackie myself,' Ryder protested, while two of the armored warriors were draping Cloud tastefully around the helmet of a third. "'You'll get boiled to the hips if you try it. The water's deep and hot. Come on.' The slowly rising water was steaming sullenly, and the walls and the ceiling of the corridor gave mute but eloquent testimony of the appalling forces which had been unleashed. Wood, plastic, concrete, metal, nothing was as it had been. Cavities yawned. Plates and pilasters were warped, crumbled, fused into hellish stalactites. Mighty girders hung awry. In places complete collapse had necessitated the blasting out of detours. Through the wreckage of what had been a magnificent building the cavalcade made its way, but when the open air was reached the three rescued ones were not left to their own desires. Instead they were escorted by a full platoon of patrolmen to an armored car, which was in turn escorted to the patrol station. I'm afraid to take chances with you until we find out who is who and what is what around here," the young commander explained. The lensman will be here with reinforcements in the morning, but I think you had better stay here with us for a while, don't you? Protective custody, eh? Cloud grinned. I don't remember ever having been arrested in such a nice way before, but it's QX with me. Thanks, Lieutenant, for everything. Lensmen came, and companies of patrolmen equipped in many and various fashions, but it was several weeks before the situation was entirely under control. Then Ellington, Counselor Ellington, the old unattached Lensman, who was in charge of all narcotics work, called the three detainees into the office which had been set aside for his use. "'We can release you now,' the Lensman smiled. "'Thanks for me as well as from the patrol for everything you have done.' There has been some talk that you two youngsters have been contemplating a honeymoon upon Chicladoria or thereabouts. Oh, no, sir, that is, uh, that was just talk, sir. Both spoke at once. I realize that the report may have been exaggerated or premature or both, but it strikes me as being a sound idea. Therefore, not as a reward, but in appreciation, the patrol will be very glad to have you as its guests throughout such a trip all expense, if you like." They liked. "'Very well, Lieutenant. Uh, take Miss Cochran and Mr. Ryder to the dispersing office, please. Dr. Cloud, the patrol will take cognizance of what you have done. In the meantime, however, I would like to say that in uncovering this attempt to grow Trenchonian broadleaf here you have been of immeasurable assistance to us.' "'Nothing much, sir, I'm afraid. I shudder to think of what's coming. 
if the Zwilniks can grow that stuff anywhere. Not at all, not at all, Ellington interrupted briskly. No worse than ever, if as bad. For if such an entirely unsuspected firm as Tellurian Pharmaceuticals, with all their elaborate preparations and precautions, some of the inspectors must have been corrupted too, although we aren't to the bottom of that phase yet, could not get more than started, it is not probable that any other attempt will prove markedly successful. And in the case of the other habit-forming drugs, which Tellurian Pharmaceuticals and undoubtedly many other supposedly reputable firms have been distributing in quantity, you have given us a very potent weapon. What weapon? Cloud was frankly puzzled. Statistical analysis and correlation of apparently unrelated indices, as you pointed out. But they have been used for years, the blaster protested. Admitted but only when individual departures from the norm became so marked as to call for a special investigation. We now have a core of analysts supplying them as routine. Thus, while we cannot count upon having any more such extraordinary help as you have given us, we should not need it. I don't suppose that I can give you a lift back to tell us? I don't think so. Thanks. My new flitter is en route here now. I'll have to analyze this vortex anyway. Not that I think it's abnormal in any way. Those were undoubtedly murders, not vortex casualties at all, but just to complete the record. And since I can't do any extinguishing until I grow a new flipper, I might as well stay here and keep on practicing. Practicing? Practicing what? Gunslinging. A lightning draw. I intend to get at least a lunch while the next pirate who pulls a delameter on me is getting a square meal. End of Part 3 End of Storm Cloud on Decca by E. E. Smith The story recorded by Phil Chenevere, Baton Rouge, Louisiana